0: All right. Hey, why don't you get your Bible and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 13. And this weekend, I'm actually concluding a series that we've been in for several weeks called Limitless. And what we've been talking about is the fact that we are not limited by the world that we live in. We're not limited by the family we came from. We're not limited by the education we have. We're not limited by the situation or the circumstance that we are going through or the things that we have gone through. We are not victims. We are victors. And when Christ said you can do all things, or when the Bible says we can do all things through Christ, the Bible really is true. And so because we have a limitless God and and we are in a limitless kingdom, then we don't have to be limited. We can do everything God says we can do. We can be everything God says we can be, and we can walk in the victory that God wants us to walk in. We get to win because God says we get to win. Does that sound good to everybody? And so we've been talking about the fact that we don't have to be limited by circumstance or past or even present. We're not limited by the neighborhood we're in, the job that we have. Um, We're not not limited by things. Things that we're facing now, we are just. The Bible tells us we can do all things. That was Paul's word to the Corinthians. We can do all things through Christ, and so we believe all things means all things, and so we can be who God says we can be. We can do what God says we can do, and we are not limited um, by anything that this world throws at us. And we've been talking about that, and we've been talking about. Faith, and we've been talking about um, the words that we say and the thoughts that we think. And last weekend we talked about honoring the word of God and the power of honoring the word of God. This weekend's message is kind of the culmination. In fact, if I if I were to say it this way, when when I'm just so you know, when I design a series. It, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of spiritually intense. And what I mean about that is I don't just sit back and think, what are some good things to talk about, and then write some messages. I actually feel like I have a word from the Lord, and then I build a series around the word from the Lord. And the reason I do that is because I want to hit it from different angles. I want to teach it from a different perspective. I want to give you as much context as I can. And also, I know that people are in and out every weekend, and I want everyone to get splashed with it just a little bit. And so, what, whichever weekend you're here or not here, even though you can watch it online and that kind of things, it's still not the same as actually being here. And everybody said, amen. amen. That's right. So when we go to live streaming, the live stream is not the same as actually being here. And everybody said, amen. oh, that's why I love y'all. you are so awesome. And so anyways, and so it's not the same. So I just try to hit it from a different angle. But, but this, this message is what all the other messages were aimed at because this message tells you kind of what to do with all the other messages right like this is almost in a way the the word from the Holy spirit for the whole series and so all this was kind of so you picked a good weekend to be here that's all I'm saying you won the lottery and so anyways and so I want to 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 share this text that's a little bit obscure and kind of odd um, with you, and then we're going to talk about what I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Uh, and so if you're there in 2 Kings chapter 13, it says, now when Elisha, now there was Elijah and Elisha, Elijah was the, the the kind of the precursor, the forerunner, and Elisha was the one that took up his mantle, and the Bible says actually had a double portion of the anointing that was on him. So this is Elisha. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, my father, my father. Now, he's not actually crying but so much because he's dying. He's crying because he needs help from him before he dies. That's <laughs> kind of an interesting, anyways, that's kind of what's going on. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it, and Elisha said, and Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, open the window eastward. Open the east window, and he opened it. And then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end to them. How many would like to make an end to one of your enemies? And he said, take the arrows, and he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them, and he struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God who's about to die got angry and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it, but now you only struck down Syria three times. So Elisha died, and they buried him. It's kind of an interesting text. And so I just kind of want to talk about it. So and essentially, here's what's going on. We have Israel, and, and Israel is being attacked by the same enemy they're always attacked by most of the time, and especially in this season. And so it's the Syrians again, and they are coming at them different ways, constantly harassing, constantly threatening, constantly waging war. And so here is an overwhelmed king. And he's like, here comes the enemy again. And they are besieging us. They are attacking us. They will not stop. I don't know if any of you know what it's like to continue to face the same enemy over. You know, like the car broke down and then the dryer blew up. Amen. I got over this sickness, but now I've got this thing. I, what I've found about most people, most believers, is that we're all typically typically there's one thing that you keep fighting over and over again it's different this family situation it just financial situation depression anxiety drama relationship but what i'm saying is the enemy seems to know how to overwhelm us and once he finds something that works in overwhelming us he keeps he keeps firing that cannon, if you will. He keeps coming at us from that direction. Now, I don't know, but maybe somebody in the room knows what it's like. Every time I think I've gotten, oh, every time I think I w- here comes this thing again. It's that same besetting sin. I think I've won, and here it comes again. The same relationship, I think we're better, and here it comes again. I don't know, does that seem to resonate with anyone? Because that's what's going on with Joash, and he's completely overwhelmed. And he comes to the prophet and says, hey, don't die, I need your help. Because what he knew is that Elisha represented the word of God. And Elisha and his words from God, not only was the promise of victory, but many times was the protection from calamity. Because Elisha was the one that seemed to always know what the enemy's strategy was. It's a great picture, really, when you think about it. Here's someone who's a prophet, so he represents the word of God. And the word of God seems to always reveal the enemy's strategy. That's why, why the Bible says we need to know the strategies or the devices of the enemy. Well, how do we know them? The word of God. Like you, you could some of you may just need to take this one home, but God's kind of given you the Bible, not only because it's a good book, but it also reveals how the enemy works, and you need to know how the enemy works. Because see, being a believer, just like Joe Ash learned, it doesn't mean the enemy's not going to attack. But when the enemy attacks, if you have the word of God, it reveals how he's going to attack and how you win. And so Elisha, remember, Elisha's the one the enemy said, hey, here's the problem. It's one of the enemies that was coming against Israel. They said, here's the problem. There's this prophet guy. And he seems to know what we're strategizing about even in the king's bedroom. And he lets them know and so they're always prepared. Every attack is thwarted. See, being a believer doesn't mean you're not going to be attacked, but, but having the word of God means you know how to make sure that every attack is thwarted so that you don't lose. I feel like I'm preaching really good right now. I know we're just kind of chill and we're just getting warmed up because this is all introduction, but that was some good preaching. And so uh, what Joash, who wasn't the most righteous king, in fact, he was a little bit wishy-washy, sometimes good, sometimes bad, not, not really the most, he, he wasn't exactly a righteous pillar, if you will. What he sees is here's the enemy and the word of God's about to die. And I know that word of God has represented not only promise of victory, but protection from calamity. And I need a word from God. You know, probably if you're gonna win, you're gonna need a word from God. I call this message winning with a word. Winning with a word. And so I want to talk about how we win with a word. Three things. You could write these down if you were so inclined. You know, maybe if you're fighting a battle or you'd like to win, it might be good to write these things down. But here's number one. And this is the first thing that that I want to point out from the text is you need to see your success. See your success. Joash... I mean, it's, it's kind of strange that a king, when he's under siege and you know, battle, would leave the palace and head to this little cottage where a pro, for an old prophet's about to die. But he does. And he falls on his knees before Elisha, and he's like, my father, my father. In other words, will you please take responsibility and do something about this, because I don't know what to do about this. And we'll come back to that. And, and Elisha looks at him and says, get up, boy, and open the window. Get up and and open the window. See, most of the time, faith is all about how you see things. I don't know if you realize this, but the battle that you fight every day, it may look like a battle for your family or a battle for your finances or a battle for your health. Let me help you with what it really is about. It's about the battle for your faith. Because you can't lose if you believe you can't lose. But you can't win if you believe you can't win and the enemy knows that one thing he has no answer for is what is available to a believer when they walk in faith. I think Jesus said it this way. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. So how valuable is your faith? right? In fact, he told Peter, the enemy's going to sift you as wheat. But I'm going to pray that your faith fail not. Now, why am I going to pray for your faith? Because that's the difference maker. The enemy's job really is just to convince you that you can't win. He needs to make you believe you can't win. And if he can make you believe you can't win, you can't win. And so most of the time, faith is all about what you're looking at and how you're looking at it. And Joash has been looking at the enemy so long, he believed he couldn't win. And the first thing the prophet says is open the east window. That was the window that would have faced out over the closest battle. With the Syrians. And this is what he's saying. I want you to view your victory. I want you to see your success. I want you to stare down what's been staring you down because you cannot conquer what you will not confront as long as it's not really sin or it's someone else's fault you have no way to win you can only win when you become responsible for the battle that you're in and you take ownership and stop running to a dying prophet and you face And some of you need to go to Pentecostal church and here's why because in Pentecostal church they have this thing called the stink face google it I bet it's on there and that's when the devil's been messing with your family long enough. And all of a sudden, you, you, it's, it's, it's kind of one of these things where you kind of turn sideways and you put your arms up like this and you just, it's the stink face. Anybody go to Pentecostal church? I'm kind of like a closet Pentecostal. And so, <laughs> but, but sometimes you just got to stare down what's been staring you down. You can't, you can't confront, you can't conquer what, what you won't confront. And see, Joash, he came to the prophet because he wanted to be delivered, but God wanted him to be the victor. He wanted the prophet like, well, you do something about this, and the prophet's like, oh, no, 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 no. God's not going to deliver you. God's going to teach you to win. See, I think sometimes we, we in our own Christian lives, every time we're in battle, we think the only way out is for God to do something to deliver us when truthfully, God's trying to teach us how to possess our promise and how to walk in victory. If you ever thought it was interesting that when they got to the promised land and they, the report comes back, there truly are giants in the promised land, God didn't say, hang on, I'm gonna deliver y'all from the giants. And I mean, because he could have blown his nose and knocked out all the giants, right? He could have nuked them right there. Like there's sinus mucus and there can be sinus nucus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he could have knocked them out. But here's what he's like. He's like, no, I'm going to give you a word and I'm going to go before you, but you're going to go in and fight. And I think sometimes we miss this, that God has put us in a land and offered us promise and there's all this opposition and God's not trying to deliver us from, he's trying to teach us how to win. He's trying to teach us how to possess what he's promised. He's given us promise, but now he's asked us to possess it. There are times by his mercy and grace that he will lead us around battles and and that he will deliver us from. But the Bible says when you pass through the flood, not when I deliver you from it. When you pass through the fire, not when when I squelch it. With Israel, he did take them around. It says when they left Egypt, he took them the long way around because they weren't ready for battle. And God won't let you be in a battle. He doesn't think you can win or you're not prepared for. But if you're in a battle, it's because he believes you can win. And so God led them around a battle to a land full of battles. Because Psalm 144 says he's teaching my hands to war and my fingers to fight. You gotta understand, God doesn't want us running from the battle, nor is God gonna come fight the battle for us. God has actually equipped us to win the battle. And maybe a lot of us sometimes spend so much time praying that God would go win the battle for us when God's like, no, 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 open the window because I'm going to give you a new way of seeing it so you can see your success. I want you to view yourself in victory. I want you to see yourself win. I want you to confront what you're running from. And so he says, open Open the window. You know, I, I think that, like the mouth and the mind, the imagination can be used and redeemed for the purposes of God. And, and the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the imagination. In fact, I grew up in, in the King James Version. It's <laughs> kind of a weird way to say it. I grew up in the King James Version. <laughs> but I grew up hearing the King James Version of the Bible and the King James Version, I, different versions vary in the King James Version of the Bible, which is kind of an exact equivalency. So they tried to do word for word. Um, New King James is the same way American Standard. Those are attempts at a word for word translation, um, whereas like your NLT is is kind of like a dynamic equivalency. It's thought for thought. And then the, me, the Message Bible, um, you know, that's kind of like texting it. And so... Um, IDK. (laughs) Anyways, um, so um, anyway, no, it's still good. If you read that, nothing is that. But I know in the King James Bible, it's eight times the word imagination. Most of the time it's in a negative context, but it doesn't mean the imagination is bad. It means the way it's, it's talking about the way it's being used. For instance, Paul says, casting down the imaginations, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. It's not saying your imagination is bad. It's saying your imagination can actually work against what God wants to do. Like, you know, when you sit around and imagine how you're gonna fail. See, I'm telling you to see yourself successful. You know what worry is? Seeing yourself failing. Um. And so I think the imagination, in fact, let me give you the scripture. This is pretty cool. First Chronicles 29, 18. It says, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, uh, our fathers, watch this, keep this forever, watch this, in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of your people. The imagination, the thoughts, of the heart. Okay, where is faith? The center of faith is always the heart. You believe from the heart. Romans ten nine and 10. You believe from the heart, right? And what he said is, if you work backwards, so he's like imaginations, thoughts, heart. Here's what he's saying. From the heart come thoughts, and then from those thoughts, your imagination builds a way of seeing. See, there are only two ways to see things, right? Right now, you're seeing me because you have physical eyes that are fixed on me unless you're texting. And so right now, you're seeing me with your physical eyes. But if I were to say right now, I want you to picture... A beach in Hawaii. You don't even have to have been there because you have enough context to start building from the thoughts to start building a picture of a white sand beach with palm trees hanging over it. There's a sea breeze. In fact, you know, here here go the birds and and, all, and now the waves are crashing. Right, some of you are having revival right now, and your toes are in the sand, and you can almost smell the breeze as it's hitting your face, and the and the waves are crashing in, and the ocean's coming in, white capped waves. Right, but you didn't see. See that with your physical eyes. So how did you see it with your imagination? Most of the time when the Bible talks about seeing in the spirit, all that is, is the Holy Spirit inspiring our imagination to the point that we can formulate a picture that God's trying to give us. Are you with? When God comes to Abraham who is barren and tries to convince him he's going to be a great nation, right after he tells him that, you know what he does? He takes him outside and he says, I want you to look at all the stars. In the sky, that's how, that's how, many, how numerous your descendants are going to be. And I want you to look at the sand on the seashore, that's how numerous your descendants are going to be. But, but you notice, all he did was engage his imagination. I want you to see what I'm trying to do. I want you to take the faith that you have and let it create a picture of your victory. I want you to see your success. Are you with me? I wonder what would happen if you would take the faith in your heart and let it create a picture of you winning instead of taking the doubt in your soul and let it create a picture of what, lo- what losing could look like. Because isn't that what we do? Well, my kid's probably going to go crazy. Well, my husband's probably going to lose his job. Well, this person's never going to be well. This person's always going to be addicted. I guess I'll always struggle with depression. You know what we're doing? All we're doing is imagining defeat instead of viewing victory and seeing success. I think everything God has given us, I don't think it's an accident that God gave us an imagination. I think everything God gives us can be redeemed, right? And so here's here's what he said. He said, hey, first of all, Joash falls on. He said, oh, King, my father, my father, what, what, what are we gonna do? And Elisha's like, I want you to get a bow and an arrow. And so I couldn't preach this message without a bow and an arrow. This is where the faint of heart leave the room. And so it's okay, I'm a highly trained professional in something. And so... He said, I want you to get a bonus, I want you to open the east window and I want you to see your success. Then he said this. He said, this arrow is the word of victory over your situation. This is the victory of the Lord. This is the promise of victory. And watch what he said. While you're trying to view your success, I want you to take the word that's from the Lord and I actually want you to aim it at your, at your battle and I want you to pull it back. Right? See, I did this last night while I had it pulled back, I did like this and everybody was like <laughs> diving under the pew. You know, I was like, oh God. It's okay, highly trained professional. I don't, this is Briggsbow, so I don't think it's powerful enough to like, I don't think it would be fatal. <laughs> I, think, I think you'd survive. But think about this. Listen, here's the reality of this. He said, hey, if you're going to see yourself successful, here's the key component. You've got to aim your word at your war. The word cannot accomplish what it needs to accomplish until it's sent. Isaiah 55, my word will not return void to me, but it will accomplish the thing for which I sent. Do you know send is an archery term? It's also a sniper term, which turns me on a little more, but but send it just means release it, right? Listen, between the covers of those leather pages or on that screen that you click on is every arrow you would ever need to win, but it won't accomplish anything until it's sent. You're gonna. If you're going to win, you're going to have to aim your arrow. You're going to have to learn how to apply your word to your... This is better preaching than you are letting on right now. If you've ever wondered what good preaching looks like, here it is. Okay? And so, are you with me? Listen, the word does no good until it's aimed. Until you send it. And so he says, hey, Joash, you came here because you've been seeing yourself failing I want you to open a window windows represent two things in the Bible provision I will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing and vision I want to give you a different perspective because faith is not about the situation you're in it's about the way you see it And he said, you've been looking at your situation and seeing how you can fail. I want you to open the window. I want you to confront what you're going to conquer. And I want you to see yourself successful. And a key to seeing yourself successful is I want you to take the word of God and aim it at your situation. See your success. Here's the second thing. You could write this down. He said, I want you to acknowledge your advantage. I want you to acknowledge your advantage. Um, this is pretty cool. Jackson, can you help me? Will you, come, will you give my nephew a hand? It's my nephew right here. This handsome guy. Have you ever used one of these? Not really. Good. All right, so don't aim it at anybody because here's our east window and, and these two ladies on the end, see, they're, they're, they're leaving. Like you've already scared them to death, right? So don't pull, we're not gonna pull it back. We're gonna keep the safety on. This will be the, the sermon that is never forgotten at Pathway. That time we shot a visitor with an arrow. Anyways, um, all right. So, so, so he, he says, that, now just hold that, Say right there. So the king comes to the prophet and the prophet says, this is the first thing I love. He said, he said king, king, our prophet, prophet, father, father, the chariots of Israel. In other words, I'm overwhelmed, I'm in battle. Now watch what he says. I love this. The prophet looks around and he says, hey, pick up that bow and arrow. Now, here's what I love about that. He didn't say, gosh, King, you know, um, I could probably help you if we had a bow and arrow. Can we get on Amazon, get that two-day shipping, and try to get one here? Or we can go on eBay, but we don't have time to bid. We gotta buy it now. Um, Or maybe one of those garage sale Facebook sites. Maybe we can get on there and find a bow and arrow. I don't know if we had a bow and arrow. No, here's what he says. He looks around, and he's like, hey, get that bow and arrow. Here's what he's saying. What you need to win... Is in the same room with you. It's in your grasp. Here's what he's telling the king. Now you had to understand, Elisha kind of had a track record for when people were overwhelmed, telling them, Oh, the the key to your victory is kind of right under your nose. Remember the lady that came to him and said, Elisha, Elisha, um, my husband feared the Lord, but he's died, and now my two sons are about to be taken by the creditors into slavery because I can't pay my bills. And Elisha said, hey, you got anything in your house? Now, you think she hadn't sold everything in her house at this point to rescue her kids? I mean, she probably sold the furniture. They're probably sitting on the floor, right? You think she hadn't been through her house looking for something? And he said, do you have anything in your house? And she said, the only thing I have is a little bit of oil. And here's what he said. Go get some vessels, not a few. Why? Because the miracle's in your house. The problem is we forget we live in a spiritual world and we think we live in a natural world because when you really think about it, what does shooting an arrow out of a window have to do with defeating the Syrians until it's the end? Nothing. Except... It's a spiritual strategy. And most of you have been trying to fight spiritual wars with natural strategies because you see the natural effect of the spiritual war. The Syrians are attacking Israel, not because they're Israel, but because they're God's people. It was a spiritual war. I think Paul said it this way. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and heavenly places. And I think what he's saying is, hey, what you need to win is actually in your grasp. You just haven't been seeing it the right way because most of the time, most of the time, listen to me, most of the time, the activity doesn't look like the victory. Yes. Let me help you, Daniel son. <laughs> Miyagi's not going to tell you that paint the fence is teaching you a low and a high block. He's not going to say wax on and wax off is teaching you how to sand the floor. Whack, you know what I'm saying? Until you get mad and throw a fit and say, "God, nothing you've given me even makes sense," and he say, hey, "Daniel, focus. Daniel, wax on." Whoa. And all of a sudden, Daniel's like, "Oh my God, I'm a ninja." The victory doesn't look like the activity. Because you need a spiritual strategy, not a natural solution. See, what makes this whole thing work, now hang on to this because it'll blow your mind. What makes this whole thing work is not it's an arrow and a bow. You ready, Joash? Come right here and, and, and aim kind of that. Yeah, there you go. No, no, don't pull it back. We don't have enough insurance. You just stressed your dad out. He's on the phone right now upgrading our liability insurance. All right, so... so, So he comes over and he says, Joash, take this bow. It's just a bow and an arrow. You can't win a whole battle with one bow and an arrow, can you? But then he does something like this. He puts his hands on the king's hands. It was just a bow and an arrow until God put his hands on it. I think David said it like this when he faced the giant. He said, you got a spear and a sword and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. And so it may look like in my hand, I'm just holding a sling and a stone, but you can't see the hand that's on my hand. But I know there's a hand on my hand and this isn't a stone anymore. This is a spiritual solution to a natural problem. And when I release this thing, his hand is going to turn this rock into a heat-seeking missile that's going to take you down. And then I'm going to take your big sword and cut your head off because you are so dumb. That's what he was saying. It's just, a, it's just a bow and an arrow. But listen, if you pick up what God has put in your hands, he'll put his hands on your hands. Moses, what have you got? I don't know, God. I got a stick. That's okay. I'll put my, you put your hand on the stick. I'll put my hand on your hand. And when God puts his hand on your hand, supernatural things happen. A cupbearer named Nehemiah becomes a construction genius. A second-class citizen named Esther becomes the star class of the court. A shepherd boy becomes a king, right? When God puts his hands on your hands, you're no longer limited to whatever you are naturally holding because the anointing of the Holy Spirit has come upon it and it will do what God wants it to do. Are you with me? All right, thank you, Jackson. I'll take that back. Yeah, give Jackson a hand. He's an awesome kid. i I tell you, just I don't have time, but this is just a good story. Um, Jackson was in one of his classes at, at high school, and and they were talking. Church came up. And I won't get all the facts right, but Church came up, and there was a young lady who claimed to be an atheist, and she was talking about how terrible Church was, and 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 he sweetly and politely, because if you know him, he's a sweet kid. Um, <clears throat> he that all the sweetness went to my brother's side. I got all the sour, but um. He's a he's a sweet he's a sweet kid and he said I I, I hear what you're saying and I, I I respect it but what you're describing is not the Jesus I know or the church that I go to. It's pretty strong. Anyways, so Daniel son, your victory may be the prayer you haven't prayed, the scripture you haven't quoted, the offering you haven't given. The serve, you haven't, the, the serve you haven't served, the humility you haven't walked in, the forgiveness you haven't offered. The victory doesn't always look like the activity. Can I, can I brag on my son? Um, when we went through Arise and, and, and we're raising money for what? And, and Arise, please hear me. Arise isn't about money or a building. It's about people and vision. All of our services this weekend, this may be the one that's the least full, to be honest. They're all packed in the middle of July. right? It's about trying to make room and reach more people. And if you think it's about money, you don't know anything about me. And so, so we went through that in our church. And I will say resounding the response from our church was extraordinary as people sacrificing gay. But my son came to us and he's, he's been saving money for like three years for a car. Cause when you're 16 a a car's important, does anybody remember that? Freedom! You know, I got my own car. And he came to us in Arise, and he said. And he finally had enough money where, where he could get a car that would actually, you know, run. Because at different times he'd say, "Dad, do I have enough?" And I'm like, "Well, you can get a car, but not an engine, you <laughs> know, and uh, you know, or you can get an engine, but probably not a car." And and so he finally had enough where I'm like, "Yeah, you're at a place where where you could you could get something now." And when he got to that place, he said, "I feel like I need to give all of my savings, all of my money to Arise." And so he did. On Big Give weekend, he went and drained his savings account, got it all cash, had a big thick envelope, (laughs) put it in the envelope box. And so here he's 16, doesn't have a car. Now he just started over until this last week when someone gave him a car. (laughs) See, if I were a Pentecostal preacher, I would say something like, if what's in your hand won't meet your need, it must be your seed. Because the victory doesn't always look like the activity. And it might be the offering that, that you haven't given that sets something free. It might be the forgiveness that you haven't offered that breaks your depression. It could be it could be the prayer you haven't prayed because you didn't think it was working. It could be the scripture you haven't quoted because you haven't studied the word yet. The victory does It could be joining a serve team the victory in the activity but you need to understand while it may look like you're painting the fence or waxing the car that's all it, while it may just look like you've got a bow and an arrow and you're pulling it back you got to understand whose hands are on your hands see god will not do your part We cannot do God's part. Joash had to go pick up the bow and he had to pull it back. He had to do his part so that God could do his part. Remember, God's trying to teach you to win, to possess your promise. Here's the last thing. See your success, right? See your success, um, understand your advantage, and then work your word, work your word. See, you gotta understand, King Joash tells, or, or Elisha tells Joash, he says, this is the arrow, the arrow of the Lord's victory. This is the promise of victory, and he says, you will defeat the Syrians until there's an end to them, until the end, And then he says, now I want you to put this in your bow and I want you to pull it back. I want you to shoot it. I want you to aim the word at the war. You need to understand that God has not been making preparation for your defeat. God is not planning for you to lose. God doesn't have a contingency plan or a plan B for you to lose. When you read the Bible, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Um, In this world, you'll have struggle. Take heart. I have overcome the world. He always leads us in triumph in Christ. He leads us, God leads us in victory through Christ. You are more than conquerors through Christ. There is never, there's not a word from God for you for your defeat. Why is it that God is never planning for us to lose, but we're always scared to death we're going to? Why is it that God doesn't plan for us to be defeated, but sometimes we make contingency plans to be defeated? Like, you need to hear this. When he came to, when Joash comes, he's like, oh, the chariots, they're marching against Israel. The prophet didn't say, well, you know, in this life, king, there are just some battles you can't win, but it's okay. Everybody's gonna be happy in heaven. That's not what he said. He said, oh, No, you're supposed to win until there's an end. That's the word of the Lord. That's the arrow of the Lord. You're going to win until there's an end to this enemy. That was the word of the Lord. There was no plan for his defeat. And God doesn't have a plan for your defeat. God has been strategizing your victory since before you got in the battle. Just let it sink in. Because there's some people in this room, I think you're like, I don't think I can win. I don't think I'm supposed to win. I don't know how to win. And what you need to know while the enemy is trying to convince you you can't win, God has never had any other plan except complete victory for you. He always leads us in triumph, He always causes us to be the victor. We are more than conquerors. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Because the word of the Lord is complete victory till there's an end to the Syrians, complete victory. But we have a promise from God for complete victory, but yet a king who didn't experience complete victory. And we need to understand the breakdown. Because if you read the text, you'll find out he said, this is the arrow of the Lord's victory until the Syrians are made an end. This is complete victory. Shoot the arrow. And then, and then he takes these arrows, the arrows that are left, and he hands them to the king. And he says, now take these arrows and strike the ground. And the king strikes the ground three times. And then all of a sudden, this dying prophet gets indignant and he says, this is verse 19, he says, why'd you only strike the ground three times? Now, at first, I was a little offended for Joash when I first heard this sermon, like when I was a teenager. Because I'm like, hold up, he didn't tell him how many times to strike the ground. is God playing the guessing game with his king? But then I realized Joash was notorious for non-responsibility. He was notorious for being apathetic. He was notorious for not following God fully. And then I realized, but wait a second. The prophet told him what the arrow was. He said, this arrow is complete victory. And he gave him the promise and then put the promise in the king's hands. See, God is only responsible for his word. He is not responsible for what you choose or choose not to do with it. He's responsible for his promise, but he's not responsible for your potential. And here's a king who lived below the victory line that God had promised him, and we need to understand why did he live below the victory God had promised him, and the first thing you need to understand is God gave him the promise, but God can't make the king do anything with it. See, I, I wish one thing I wish we could get out, but I think it was the doctrine of a devil somewhere that taught people that the sovereignty of God meant that God just does whatever and, and we have no vote or, or we don't weigh into anything that happens because God's sovereign. He's just in control of everything. And so whatever happens was the will of God and he'll just do. I call that the K. Sarah, Sarah gospel. And I think we got a bunch of believers who are in wars today in battles today, and they're on their knees praying, que sera, sera, prayers. Well, Lord, if it's your will, God, that I lose my family. If it's your will, God, that I be sick. If it's your will, God, that I don't prosper. Que sera, sera. whatever will be, will be. And when you look at the Bible, you've got a a Bible that says, oh, the earth he's given to the sons of man. He's told us to subdue and take dominion, to multiply and to be fruitful. He's told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, not hope they show up at church one Sunday. He said, go into all the world. Why? Because the world ain't coming to you. But no, we got this case right. Well, whoever God wants to be saved, they'll just find salvation. How are they going to find it? Paul said, how can they preach unless there's someone sent? All right, how can they hear unless someone preaches? How can they preach unless they're sent? Right, somebody's going to have to get off that blessed assurance and do something. And I think Joash hears the word from the Lord and he's like, well, God's promised me victory, so what does it matter what I do with the word? What does my part? Remember, I can't do God's part, but God will not do. And so here's the thing God, God says, I'll give you a word. See, Joash came praying that God would do something. And God did, He gave him an arrow. Who was it said, I think this was a quote by some really smart person, but they said, the reason a lot of people miss opportunity is it shows up in work clothes. It doesn't come in the mailbox. And so here's what he said. He said, you've got a word, but now put your overalls on and start working your word. here's the word of victory. I'm going to put it in your hand. Now strike the ground with it. If Joash would have just known that just like the word won't work until it's aimed, that you have to pound the ground with the word until you win. See, because this whole thing, remember this is a spiritual world, but we have a natural world, we have a physical planet, but all of this is about your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom that is that is taking over a physical planet. And here's what he's saying. You have a spiritual solution, a promise from God that is more powerful than anything you'll understand. Like this is this is no longer an arrow. This is like a nuclear missile. But here's what he's saying. Your part... Being that you are seated with Christ and standing in the world, is now you take the promise that God has put in your hands and you pound earth with it until it lines up with heaven. Yeah, I'm going to let it sink in because that was a good one. Did you hear what I said? God has given you a promise. If not, he'll give you one. This is all about winning with a word. Every battle that you face, you should have a word for it. You should have an arrow from the Lord. And once you get that arrow from the Lord, you pound the ground with it until you win with the word that you have. You know what Jesus said? You overcome by the blood of the lamb and the Blood of the Lamb and the Word of your testimony. Why does it matter what I think? Why does it matter what I believe? Why does it matter what I say? Because this is how I pound the ground. This is how I win with a word. And if you're in a battle today, you're going to have to open the window and you're going to have to see your success. And then you're going to have to understand your advantage. You have to acknowledge your advantage—the fact that God is going to give you a strategy, and it's probably not going to look like what you think it needs to look like. Right? This is—we were talking about this in, in work. Can I just share something else? We were talking about this um, once a month. I meet with our, our worship leaders, and um, and I, I like to influence worship because I have a blueprint for it. See, because I have the imagination and the picture that God's given me for worship at Pathway, and we have an amazing, gifted anointed team and they're all amazing and I love worship and I love to sit down with them because these listen you got to understand our worship team they're just not normal like they're the real deal like what you see on the platform that's just how they live every day right they're not putting on a show like they're coming to worship are you with me and so I get to spend time with them, and we have a lot of fun. We do a lot of discussion, but we were talking about this, and we were talking about how, how does, what is, what's worship really for. And one of the things we talked about, one of them said, you know, well, worship is one of the things we do, our, our praise. We're talking about praise. Well, we praise God after the victory. And I'm like, yeah. And then somebody said, yeah, and we praise God before the victory. And I'm like, yeah, see, praise, and people miss this. Pray, praise is pre, and praise is post like, yes, we can praise God after the victory, and we should, just like Marion, who got her tambourine. She's a little Pentecostal too. She got her tambourine out. And and after they cross the Red Sea and they watch the army drown, Pharaoh's army drown, she gets her tambourine out and she starts singing a song. She's praising after the victory and we should. When we come in, we're praising God because he saved us, he redeemed us, he healed us, he delivered us. We're praising post-victory. But you know where praise is really powerful? Praise is powerful pre-victory. Don't believe me? Ask Jehoshaphat. Because Jehoshaphat said, God, what's the strategy to win? He said, send the worship team first and have the army follow them. Why do you think we start service with worship? We're praising for the breakthrough you're about to have. God, Sometimes I just don't know what to do with all the energy I have. I don't know what that was. That was a double stomp. You hear what I'm saying? Like... I understand what it's like when you've had breakthrough the week and you show up at church and you're ready to worship. But you know what I'd say? When you're in battle the most, that's when you ought to show up early and say, I'm going to praise. Just like Jericho, I'm going to shout, then the wall's going to fall down. Like Gideon, I'm going to blow the trumpet and then the enemy's going to actually defeat themselves. I'm going to take the word and I'm going to pound the ground with it. Until I see what I saw when I opened the window. That's a good word. Can you thank God for His word? (laughs) Why don't you stand?